0: Welcome again to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. I'm your host, Raymond Hawkins, with Compass Data Centers in Dallas, Texas. We are recording today on Thursday, September 9th, uh, as our world continues to struggle with uh, the global pandemic. And today we are joined by Vice President of Security Research for North America, Amit Serper, and he is with GardaCore. Amit, how are you today?
1: Hi, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Amit, uh, if you'll hang on with us, we're going to do uh, our trivia questions. Unfortunately, you are not eligible for the massive prizes uh, for knowing the right answers. But uh, we're going we're to run through a couple of quick security-related trivia questions for those who listen to our podcast. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at uh, answers. At CompassDataCenters.com, it's data centers with an S, answers, or you can email me at rhawkins at CompassDataCenters.com. So as always, we give prizes to the first five right answers, $100 Amazon gift cards. We have three questions this week in honor of cybersecurity. Question one, what is the estimated cost of cybercrime globally last year? We got four options. You can say A, a trillion dollars, B, two trillion, C, three trillion, or D, four trillion Amit I know is dying to answer but he doesn't get to. <laughs> Second question, what is the average payment for ransomware attacks? A 100,000, B 84,000, C 150,000 or D 200,000. And our final security trivia question, what was the average cost of data breach A data breach last year? Uh, a 2.75 million, B 4.27 million, C, 3.86 million, or D, 3.48 million. Uh, all of those are interesting numbers. All of those are expensive. To meet if you are willing, we'd love to start out with your very interesting background, uh, especially uh, we'd love to hear about a young man selling security services and Internet services out of his bedroom uh, in his teenage years, when most of the rest of us were thinking about uh, uh, h- how do we uh, make the local sports club or how do we uh, line up a date for the dance, you were running the internet. So, so start there if you're willing, and tell us.
1: <laughs> okay, wow, well, I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, wow. So, uh, yeah, what, what you just talked about happened when I was uh, 15. You probably. Could tell that my name is weird is because I am while I do live in uh, the U.S. now, uh, I'm originally Israeli. I'm from Israel. Uh, I grew up and lived there, uh, you know, 30 years of my life. When I was uh, 15, cable internet had been starting to uh, to uh, roll out in, in Israel, and I was actually uh, I was actually lucky enough to be on on uh, the beta test. So that means that the cable company uh, would Come to your house. That was 2001, by the way. Cable company would come to your house, um, install uh, what was then like the first uh, really really fast broadband uh, connection based on based on the cable infrastructure. Uh, until then, we were all using um, either uh, old analog 56k uh, dial-up modem or um, ADSL. So when they started rolling out the cable uh, internet, I was in. I was a beta tester, and they've actually installed an uncapped uh, cable connection in my house. So I had b- what back then was a very, very fast, uh, I think it was uh, a five so, a five or a seven megabit symmetric uh, connection.
0: So, now, was that a mistake that you got an uncapped line or was no, that part that was, of the beta test program?
1: That was part of the beta test. Afterwards, the, the more you came close to... Uh, you know, to being like fully approved and and to be marketed and sold, they actually uh, capped that. But I found a way to hack the modem and disable the the cap. But that's a different story.
0: That'll be our next episode. <laughs> <Neat>.
1: <laughs> and uh, at that time, uh, I was uh, a wee 15-year-old lad. That's when I started getting into like um, doing stuff with computers that aren't necessarily just you know gaming on them. Uh, so I had. Uh, three, uh, uh, three computers in my teenage bedroom that I, uh, I, I, I managed to get like all of sort, all sorts of parts from like friends and their old computers. And, and just like I had parts laying around and I built, uh, three servers. One was running FreeBSD. One was running, I think Debian Linux. And the third one was running Windows 2000.
0: Which began your love affair with the Microsoft operating system, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. That's when I stopped using Windows. Pretty much.
1: And I sold uh, web hosting packages that um, ran on these uh, three computers that were, that were uh, made out of uh, spare parts and were running in my teenage bedroom.
0: Unbelievable. All right. There was a cool name for that first web hosting business. You got to tell me the why behind the name.
1: Uh, so it was Evil Cheese, uh, the domain was EvilCheese.net. Unfortunately, I don't own this domain anymore. I, I didn't have a name back then, and I couldn't figure out one, so there was a website, which I can't remember which website it was, but it was, uh, a rock band name generator. So, uh, I, I'm also a musician, so I also, uh, I also... Uh, uh play a bunch of instruments uh in 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 bands and rock bands and back at the time I was a drummer in 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 my first uh, ever band that I played in because I was 15 and we were looking for a name so I went on this website and I started generating random names and uh one of those names uh was evil cheese and so I just got the domain evilcheese.net and that was the uh and that was the name of uh of the the company that I had back then
0: all right. So so not a lactose intolerance reference, but a uh, rock band name generated <laughs> website. So good. I got it. Okay. Yeah, I
1: became lactose intolerant uh, years, later, so actually, <laughs> years later. it actually, it. It actually lines up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it might might have been a predictor of things to come, evil cheese. <laughs> Very good, well, awesome. so fifteen years old you 're literally selling web services out of your home. Talk about learning the basics of the internet. I love the reference that you hacked the modem i mean you're learning at the very basic levels at the early stages of of what what goes on in the internet. you know this is right as the dot com explosion is about to happen, and all the world is about to start to realized that wait I could buy things by clicking a button so you were at the very beginning stages of that so so you're you're literally in high school running your own web services business uh tell us where it went from there
1: so actually I had this service running for um I think 2 or 3 years and at at one point and and, and as I said earlier at a certain point while I was running this service I actually started getting all, or my parents rather, got to, started to get all sorts of uh, weird phone calls from the cable company telling them that there's very high uh, upload usage, and if there's if there's uh, anything um, that you know the cable company should know about, and my my parents being like you know back then they were in like their late fifties or eight, early sixties, they obviously had no idea. Uh, what was wrong, and and they just let me talk to um, talk to the people on the phone. I I I uh, I played dumb, <laughs> and eventually um, they upgraded the system in a way that my speed hack didn't work anymore, and I had to close shop. So uh, I think Evil Cheese lasted for either two or three years. I honestly don't remember. By the time I had to close my service, I had I had about thirty customers, twenty five customers, something like that. And I basically told all of them, like, starting this date, uh, the service will be unavailable and closing shop. And that's pretty much how it ended.
0: So, Amit, before we transition into a little bit more official roles that you took after uh, Evil Cheese, did any of the Evil Cheese band t shirts survive? Because we would love to be able to, to raffle one of those off to our listeners if there's any <laughs> Evil no, Cheese never, band never memorabilia. Had. No? Never okay. Had all right. All, all right. All right. All right. That would make a heck of a band shirt, though. Yeah. Evil Cheese Tour 2001 or something like that. Be great. <laughs> All right. So, you, so you shut down your web hosting business, and uh, like most uh, young Israelis, you end up um, uh, in the military for a short stint. So take take us from there.
1: Yeah. So so in Israel, uh, once you turn 18, basically when you graduate high school, you have to you have to go through three years of mandatory military service. If, if, if you're a guy, I, I think that it's different for, for women, but I honestly don't remember. When you are uh, around the age of 17, 17 and a half, uh, you have all sorts of, uh, of uh, various uh, uh, units in, in the military or other places in the Israeli uh, uh, security apparatus. Uh, they're basically starting to look at the data of the new... Of the new soldiers to be, so to speak. So when you're 17, you're being invited to the military for some interviews and some tests to basically assess your uh, intelligence and all sorts of things. And according to these, to, to the data provided by these tests, you are then asked to come to all sorts of interviews for the actual uh, units that you might be uh, serving in for for that period of three uh, years. So. I, I went to I went to that interview, which was very weird a very weird experience uh, uh, for me and and other than interviews, there's also some physical um, some physical tests to see if you're fit to uh, combat. And um, as you can probably see, I am definitely not combat material. Uh, <laughs> so uh, after uh, after uh, a few months uh, a few months after these interviews i I, I started getting uh, phone calls from all sorts of military, uh, units inviting me to for more assessments and interviews and i ended up um ended up uh getting invited into an interview with a unit that was outside of the army so basically to do my military service at a place that is not the military but was a part uh of the israeli security apparatus i ended up actually uh uh going there uh, doing my military my mandatory military service at one of Israel's uh, uh, intelligence services, and I actually ended up staying there for uh, for nine years. So a few years after uh, my mandatory service, uh, so I, I, I served there. Uh, obviously, I, I can't really talk about what I did, uh, but you can imagine
0: what it was. Yeah, me, we would rather you not have to kill me or Alex, our technician. So let's let's leave that part not, out. Not combat material
1: <laughs> wouldn't be able to kill anyone. All right. Ended up uh, uh, staying there for nine years, doing uh, all sorts of security research-related projects, uh, both offensive security research and defensive. So, meaning both finding vulnerabilities and exploiting them and hacking into places, and building systems that can uh, defend us from similar things. Basically, after nine nine years uh, 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 there, doing various uh, uh, research roles, I decided. That chapter of my life is over, and I uh, left the government and joined an early stage security startup, which <laughs> I was employee number fourteen. Today they're over uh, one thousand.
0: All right, so so uh, started in your in high school on a beta test uncapped line uh, in your in your bedroom, and ended up working for uh, the Israeli uh, defense forces in cybersecurity that's uh, that's quite a journey and then and then on into private uh you know into commercial the commercial world so I got a ton of questions to meet. We can go all over the board here. For for those of us who, who security isn't our job, we think about, hey, I don't want anyone to have my passcodes. I don't want anyone to hack my phone. Uh, we think about um, security in relatively simple terms, I think. But we see in the news, uh, I think the ones that get the most attention are, are ransomware attacks or denial of service. Uh, can you talk through um a little bit for us what are the biggest concerns why uh as as both a consumer and as a business, what are the biggest concerns, and then why this is continually changing? I think both of those would be fascinating. How should we think about it as a business? how should we think about it as a consumer, and why is it always changing?
1: yeah, so this is actually a really good question, especially when 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 we talk about the subject of ransomware that's that's been all over the news. Pretty much for a few years straight now, but it, it the whole thing gotten way worse now in like the past the past year of the pandemic. Pretty sure that the two are related, by the way. And and the way that you phrase this question is actually a very good way to look at it, because there is the the side of the business and there is the side of the consumer. Uh, you as as you know as the regular person, and ransomware affects all of us. So if we if we go if 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 we go back a few years to when ransomware started to become a thing that we hear about ransomware attacks started by basically blackmailing ordinary people like someone would get an email you would get an an, an email that you would think that is from a reputable source and you would open the attachment and the attachment would have uh the malware that will encrypt your machine and will tell you hey if you want to um decrypt all of your data, send us this amount of Bitcoin to this address, and maybe, you know, again, no one is promising you that, maybe you will get uh, the decryption key and you would be able to restore all of your data. So for the first few years of ransomware, this is what we knew. Like random people all across the world. Many times it was um, elderly people or people that weren't necessarily knowing their way around computers. Uh, they would got hit. And I I don't really know if 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 it if it yielded any profits to the attackers because they were just attacking random random people, and some of those people would pay, some of those people would not. So it's not like it was like the steady source of income to these attackers. And then in 2017, two really big events happened, uh, in which I was actually involved in in the remediation of one of them. So the first big event was a WannaCry. WannaCry was a huge ransomware attack that was conducted allegedly by uh, the Russians, by the Russian state. Allegedly, according to all of the publications that are available to us. And um, this attack actually used a bunch of, of exploits and tools that leaked from I think it was the CIA back then, uh, just a few weeks before. So there was some kind of a data leak at the CIA and a a bunch of their cyber tools leaked. And the, uh, the people behind the WannaCry attack basically took these capabilities provided by these exploits and tools and packaged them into WannaCry. And what WannaCry was, it was a piece of malware that was able to spread around the network. So if, for example, you're sitting in your ho- in your office and, and you know, there are 200 uh, machines in your office, and you would um, open that malicious payload that contains uh, uh, the WannaCry ransomware, WannaCry will run on your machine, encrypt your machine, but it will also propagate all around your network and encrypt those machines and so on and so forth. This is what we call a worm. So WannaCry was, was a huge ransomware worm that, that ran amok the entire world. It, it caused a lot of destruction. Uh, the British NHS, the National Health Services that they have there, were crippled almost completely by that. So doctors couldn't use their computers to look at health charts, and everybody had to go back to pen and paper. Uh, all sorts of companies, universities, schools, municipalities, governments, whatever, all around the world got shut down. But until a British researcher named um, uh, Marcus Hutchins, also nicknamed uh, Malware Tech Online, uh, actually reverse engineered the sample of WannaCry. And he found that when WannaCry runs, it actually tries to um, to connect to, to this uh, address on the internet, to this domain name that at, at that time was not registered. So. Marcus Hutchins actually went and registered that domain name, and what he and basically the entire world discovered the moment that he registered that domain, all of the instances of WannaCry that were now executing were trying to hit that domain to get to it. Now, after it was registered, they did get to this domain, and that domain was actually a kill switch that was built in the malware, and that caused the malware to basically stop in its tracks and 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 it stopped and that helped significantly to to, uh, remediate uh, that problem that WannaCry caused. So, uh, about two months after that happened, there was another very, very big ransomware uh, attack called, this time, NotPetya. NotPetya was actually very interesting because... It it was it originally started from a Ukrainian accounting uh, software company, basically a, a company in, in in Ukraine that makes a, an accounting company. Sort of like uh, if I'll have to compare it to what we know here in the U.S., I would say that it's something like Quicken or QuickBooks, basically something that helps you to um, file your taxes and, and and do all sorts of these things in, in in Ukraine. And the way that it works in Ukraine is that every business that Every business, either within Ukraine or outside of it, that conducts business in the country of Ukraine has to use this program in order to do something with the taxes over there. So the, the attackers behind Notpetya did what's called a supply chain attack. They hacked into the company that makes uh, that makes this accounting software. The name of the program is Doc. The name of the company is Intellect Systems, if I recall correctly. Uh, they hacked into into um, that company and basically added their own piece of code in the software that downloads uh, the NotPetya malware and runs it wherever the attacker wants. So basically, whoever used the ME-Doc software also had the NotPetya malware basically waiting to run on command by the attackers. Uh, The attackers had then executed this attack, and this was, I think even up to date, was the most devastating ransomware attack. So shipping company Maersk completely stopped working. Uh, Computers all across Ukraine stopped working, including ATMs. People couldn't get money, couldn't swipe credit cards, couldn't go to the ATM, uh couldn't go to schools schools universities uh i think in some cases power plants it was an absolute disaster it it took uh, it took Maersk months to recover from that it affected the worldwide supply chain of goods meaning actual containers were stuck at ports and trucks could not get into ports because of that because all of the computers were down at that point, while Not Petya started uh, to go wild, I was actually uh, on vacation uh, in Israel visiting my family. And I was uh, sitting in the living room at my parents' house, at my parents' house, watching TV with my dad as they were talking about this cyber attack. And, um, uh, my dad was saying, my dad was asking me question about it because my dad is not that, um, He's not an expert in technology, let's say. And he started asking me questions. And I said, you know what? I don't know. And he said, do you think that this attack could be stopped? Can someone stop it? Or is it just going to run amok until it basically runs out of computers to infect? And I said, honestly, I don't know. But I have my computer here with all of my tools from work. uh, And maybe if I could get my hands on, on a sample of that malware, maybe I could analyze it. So uh, I actually managed to get a sample of this malware and I was in this um, uh, chat group with a bunch of other people who were trying to understand what they can do about it. And while they were focusing all of their efforts on the encryption part of the malware, basically trying to find some kind of weakness in the encryption or see if the um, decryption key is embedded somewhere or if you can do something to decrypt the files. I was actually looking at something simpler than that. I, was, I wanted to see if I could find some sort of a kill switch like Marcus Hutchins found just a few months beforehand. And actually within not long, within I would say probably half an hour, 45 minutes, I found some logic that the developers of the malware left in the code that basically says, when the malware starts to run, it checks for a certain file on your computer, it checks if it exists. If that file exists, the malware will not run. It will not encrypt the machine and it will just stop working and and that's it. The interesting part in in what I found was that it was not a kill switch because what Marcus found, what Marcus Hutchins found, once he registered that domain, all of the NotPetya samples out there in the wild just stopped working. With what I found, it was more like, I, I, I call it a vaccine, which is, you know, funny. We all talk about vaccines now in 2021, but that was 2017 when the only global pandemic that we had was a ransomware pandemic. And basically what I found is that if you will manually create that file in a certain way on your machine, if you end up getting infected by not if it some way manages to get into your machine, because it was also a worm, just like, uh, WannaCry, where it spreads from machine to machine, encrypts it and, spread, and spreads onwards, very much like, you know, COVID, if we, if we do the comparison. Um, so if you will create that file in a certain way, you would be base, you would basically be Im- uh, immune from infection, uh, to this piece of ransomware so i i once I found that sitting at my parents' house with my laptop on my knees <laughs> I started putting that online and I put it on my twitter account and it just uh it 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 became no pun intended it became viral and gave me my uh fifteen uh fifteen minutes of fame uh so so that was uh that was very exciting so back to our discussion about ransomware
0: when we look when we look at ransomware one, one, one more question before we get off of, of NotPetya. So that stopped future infections. How did, it, how did you guys fix the machines that had been infected?
1: It did not. Once the machines were infected, it's, it, it was a done deal. And also the point of NotPetya, NotPetya actually, if, if, if I reverse engineer its code and, and many others have as well. And there was actually no code within NotPetya to decrypt whatever was encrypted. So it was a one-way process. The whole point of NotPetya was to cause destruction.
0: Was just it was to destroy, never, yeah, not to generate never, revenue.
1: Yeah, I mean there was you did have this your machine is encrypted screen with a bitcoin wallet address and some people actually paid thinking they would get the decryption key back but they they didn't heard from the they didn't hear back from the attackers obviously because the whole goal of this thing was to create destruction.
0: I so got, there was no way to machi- unwind it
1: yeah once once your machine was uh was infected uh that was a done deal but if you used my my the trick that i found back there you would be you would be uh quote unquote immune from um um sustaining any damage
0: fascinating stuff all right i'm i stopped you you were transitioning back to the original question about commerce commercial interest business interests and individuals sorry i stopped you
1: Right so so now when we're at this age of uh ransomware attackers um attacking companies and not you know private people citizens so to say it's it's a very different ball game it's a completely different ball game because you know if 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 my machine was attacked or if your machine was attacked you know our data was encrypted okay tough luck we don't have access to our documents or to our I don't know to our kids' pictures or whatever, but that would be it pretty much. It wouldn't. I mean, the fact that my machine is encrypted doesn't really affect yours. But with the way with the way that that ransomware attacks have been going on since then, especially with WannaCry and NotPetya, sort of um, starting this whole trend of attacking large scale companies uh, and such. We are now in in a more serious problem where ransomware attacks are not necessarily just to get the ransom to decrypt the files, but they're also now what's called a double extortion attack meaning or a threat actor rather I don't like to use the word hacker, but a threat actor would use uh, uh would uh would you know break into your environment and encrypt your, uh, and leak a whole bunch of information from your organization, and only after that information was leaked, they will then encrypt your data. And basically now they're telling you, if you want to decrypt the data, you need to pay us this amount of money, but also if you don't want us to leak all of that data out to put it on the internet for everyone, you have to pay us more money. So you're now being uh, extorted twice, hence the name a double extortion attack so now when all of these organizations uh, are being breached they are holding everyone's uh data hostage so you know tomorrow my uh, bank for example could be could be breached and if you and i are in the same bank then you and i are both affected by something that we have zero control of because this is not us opening emails or double clicking on attachment that we should not this is someone in the bank security not doing their job correctly which causes us the customers to suffer so this this is the transition that the the ransomware market so to say sort of went through from targeting just you know regular people to targeting huge organizations and when you look in in, in all of these forums that these threat actors converse in uh, mostly on on, on, on what's called the dark web you would see that they are doing their prep work they they are looking to buy access into companies that that have large revenue and and you know they would they would look at it, and if someone is able to sell them access to this company you know sometimes it could be um an inside person that works for the organization and and is just wanting to make a quick buck and sells access to uh, the organization, or it could be a different group of attackers that their sole job is to gain that foothold and then sell it onwards to people who would put ransomware on it. So the the people behind the ransomware attack are actually doing their research on these companies. What is their revenue? Who are their customers? Uh, What kind of market they're they're in? Are they a bank? Are they an insurance company? And, and, And so on and so forth. And, they will then get into these organizations, encrypt the data, exfiltrate a lot of stuff outside and and they will do that. and we hear and, and now we hear about those things literally every week, sometimes multiple times a week. So ransomware is now more of a danger than it was before, merely because there is nothing that we can do about. It. We can do nothing about how our bank or insurance company, or whatever other organization that has our data and gets attacked, secure their organizations. We have we have no control over it. So this is why it's really, really bad.
0: So Amit, as I look at um what makes the news I see attacks on, as you're describing, against really big companies, but I also see attacks, and this is going to sound funny, against small cities. And you know, I read all the a lot about, you know, such and such city wrote an eighty-four thousand dollar payment to to get their system back. Is is the target of these cyber criminals? I'm not sure if that's even the right term. I, I know you said you didn't like using the word hacker, but is is it are they really I can see why a big financial institution with that data uh, would be in a great target because of the huge expense and the huge loss of confidence in that financial institution but I read stories about little I mean that's just the best example I can give. why would they attack a small city? Is it because they're easy targets?
1: I honestly think I mean that's a good question i I can give my take on it. I have no idea if if it's if it's correct or not. This is just my guess, but I would say that uh, a lot of these um, a lot of these attackers are coming from countries outside the U.S., uh, Russia or the foreman, you know, the former um, um, eastern bloc over there in Eastern Europe. I think that there is this notion that, you know, if you would ransomware a school district in America, they would pay because, you know. America wants their kids to go to school, and American school districts have money because this is how America is being perceived um, outside of it. I I I I know that you know in my in my in my previous work. So now I work at Gardecore, but before um I that that company I said I joined early, as uh, a company called CyberReason. and and back back when I worked there, I was uh, doing a lot of incident response engagements with with these uh exact uh victims uh school districts and small towns and so on and and they would say we have no money to 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 pay these like ridiculous ransoms like we we have we can't afford it so um we did see and again i don't know what the data is now because it's not the kind of stuff I, i i work on anymore but you know back when i was in cyber reason we did see a big spike in in um, school districts and towns being attacked and then after um and then after they had you know issues and or trouble with getting the funds to pay to the attackers um it sort of like died down and the attackers focused more on 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 um, on entities that actually have revenue hospitals large uh corporations and, and so on
0: So I'm going to ask a dumb, you know, I I lead sales and marketing, so we're not the smartest group in the business. So I'm going to ask a dumb sales guy question. I don't understand, um, as, as we see these attackers, aren't there digital footprints, for lack of a better term? Isn't there a way to figure out who this is? How does that person hide on the other end of the world? Is it just because they're in a place that we physically can't get to them? Can you determine who they are or can they legitimately hide? Meaning digitally hide is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, so I think I think it's it's a little bit of both. I mean, um, first of all, if you know what you're doing, if you really know what you're doing, if you're experienced, if you have the right tools and resources, uh, hiding on the internet, especially when doing something like that, is not a difficult thing to do. It's it, by it's by no means. I mean, again, if someone like the United States or or someone uh, or or a or a some sort of a cyber superpower, if you will would want to know who are these people i assume that in some way or form they could do it be it by cyber means or by uh, other intelligence means i mean this is what intelligence this is what intelligence agencies do but if we go back for a second hiding on danger hiding yourself on the internet again if you know what you're doing if you're doing it correctly because it's it is an art form it's not something that's difficult to do. It's not something difficult to hide yourself in a way that makes it very, very difficult to find you. On top of that, you have these um, you have these people working in countries that don't really have a, a very good relationship with the U.S. right now. For example, Russia. There are tons of videos on the internet of uh, of these ransomware criminals driving their fancy cars uh uh all across russia doing donuts on on public roads and basically not not really caring about other people's or the laws in that country it's also it's it's been known that in in russia for example it's been known that usually the authorities won't won't really go after you unless you are targeting russia or russians so when these cyber criminals are focusing their efforts on Western countries and they don't target Russians, it's sort of like, you know, nobody really sees you. So that is really the problem that that, that we're experiencing, especially with uh, brazen groups uh, such as uh, R-Evil and these groups that recently breached into the colonial pipeline in the U.S. and, 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 and so on.
0: So Amit, I'm going to ask you, we've talked a little bit about how you and I, as just regular Joe consumers, we can be exposed because we have no control over what our bank does and what they do with our data. Somebody hacks into my laptop, right? They get my few work papers and they get my kids' pictures, right? So that's a small problem. Uh, We've talked about it from a commercial perspective or even a small government, a school district or something like that. As I think about... um, Cyber risks on a larger scale. Uh, I I live in Texas. This past uh, winter, we had uh, what we call snowmageddon, you know, eight days below freezing, which is unheard of here, and everything shut down. Now, that was weather related. But when I think about a cyber crime, isn't it possible to – you mentioned a pipeline – Aren't there things where you could have large scale? I mean, I, I think about in our business. So in the data center business, so much of the global internet traffic runs through Ashburn. Are there vulnerabilities from a, from cyber? Crime to to cripple the internet, cripple digital parts of the economy, cripple parts of of our systems that are now wholly dependent on technology. And and where I'm going with that, I mean, is a totally different kind of warfare, right? Not warfare where we shot at each other, but warfare where we shut down the food supply chain. War ch- warfare where we shut down the ability to to um, travel, planes and 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 you know um, trains and things of that nature. Can you talk to me about that? large scale risk in the in the cybercrime world
1: yeah absolutely if if you would have asked me that question even five six years ago i would have said hey no we're not there it's it's fud fear uncertainty and doubt it's something that's you know that's being uh blown out of proportion or being um uh, propelled in the news just you know to to cause stress but we have actually been living this reality that you have just talked about this is this is the reality in the past few years so you know you mentioned electricity a few years ago i think it was 2015 or 14 russia breached uh uh, ukraine's power grid and shut it down and in 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 the dead of winter and and people were at home in ukraine in temperatures that are similar to what you described and i am from massachusetts right outside of boston so here in new england it's just called winter uh Mm -hmm. so uh (laughs) and power plants in in uh ukraine were shut down through uh, cybernetic means and there are videos if if you'll go on youtube you'll be able to find the videos that the uh, controllers inside the control room took with their phones of the of the mouse cursor moving by itself and going and and shutting switches one by one, you could see that that happened. Anton Cherepanov from ISET and a few other people from American company uh, Dragos, I think, they have they, they have had a, a whole research uh, about that. They did the incident response, the incident response to that particular incident and they have revealed a lot of the details in a talk in, in black hat a few days ago a few years ago excuse me there is a book by uh andy greenberg uh, uh, a really good journalist from wire that's called sandworm that actually talks about not petia I, I, I i'm actually i was actually interviewed uh to that book i discussed uh whatever it is i just talked to you about uh not Petria and in that book they do go into very great uh details about what happened by that sandworm is the name of the uh threat actor uh the russian threat actor that that did all of that so they're actually going into the details of of this uh attack on on ukraine's power grid if you're talking about messing with the internet or 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 um everything that has to do with our digital life so to speak that happened also also by russia I think that was either in I think it was in Estonia in 2008 but I'm 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 not sure. So um Estonia is a very uh is a very digital country. A lot of the things there are being done through the web. You can even vote uh cast your ballot for the election online. You don't even need uh, to leave your house. They're a very very digital nation. Uh if if one can use such term. In in one of their skirmishes, uh, I, I'm almost sure it was uh, Estonia and Russia. It was either Georgia or Estonia, or both. But that happened there as well. Uh, the The internet in the uh, the internet infrastructure in that country was brought to its knees. All of the government uh, website and infrastructure was basically shut down again by by attackers. So we we are living this reality right now in in Iran. Uh, what was it? A month or two ago, all of the trains uh, stopped working and, and people uh, uh, at the train station, when they were looking at the signs, uh, the signs said that if you have any issues with the train, please call this phone number. That phone number was actually the phone number of uh, Khamenei, who is the ruler of Iran, the 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 supreme ruler of Iran. That That number was put there by the attackers. And that was sort of like the number in his office. So we have been living this reality for a few years now. Some of us know it more. Some of us know it less. But this is life now.
0: Well, Lamit, thank you for uh, catching us up on the world of, of cybercrime. Uh, can you give us just a minute as, as we wind down here? Can you tell us a little bit about what GardaCorp does and what you do there uh, as your role of, of uh, VP of security research that we'd be interested in hearing where you guys fit in this saving us all from cybercriminal world?
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, GuardiCore actually does um, uh, something really cool and and refreshing, which is actually uh, one of the main reasons why I I decided to join uh, GuardiCore back in January of this year. So GuardiCore is in the micro-segmentation world, which is actually um, sort of like the new take or uh, hopefully what will replace the legacy network security equipment that we know as firewalls. So firewalls, uh, in most cases, are just like a box that sits in your network and has everything uh, connected to it. And this box basically tells network packets whether to go on to their destination or just drop dead in their place. Um, our product is actually uh, a software-based solution. It's an agent that you deploy on all of your machines in, in your organization, and you can uh, create all sorts of policies that allow traffic to go through or not. You can you can actually uh, set policies to the application level and not to an IP address uh, level uh, as you would do in a legacy firewall. So no more boxes, no more cables uh, that, that have to be routed through this box and then through the rest of the network. It also gives you amazing visibility to see what's running on your machine, what uh, piece of software talks to which server. Uh, In case of a ransomware attack, for example, this is a great case. In case of a a ransomware attack, when computers are starting to get encrypted one by one, within the click of a button, you can basically shut everything down, disconnect all of your network or uh, compartmentalize parts of your network and basically manage the risk and mitigate it very, very, very quickly. So, and, and at Gardecore, um, I, I work at part of the organization that's called Gardecore Labs. Um, I work with an amazing, amazing team of, of brilliant security researchers, and basically, what we do is um, in, in our team is we hack into stuff, we find security vulnerabilities, uh, we do the most cutting edge security research, and we uh, write a report about it, and we publish it for free. In order to raise awareness and help other companies uh, know about uh, uh, risks that they have, for example, uh, a brilliant researcher that I'm proud to be working with um, on my team, uh, Ophir Paz. She and another Isra- uh, she's Israeli, as you can tell by the name. Uh, she and another Israeli researcher called uh, Pele Gadar, they both found uh, a critical vulnerability in, in, um, in Microsoft Azure. Uh, in the engine that runs Azure, which actually allowed uh, an attacker to crash an entire cluster of Microsoft Azure servers with one packet. Uh, they have disclosed it to Microsoft a couple of months ago and actually uh, spoke about it in, uh, in uh, Black Hat in Vegas last month. So this is the stuff we do and we're very, very excited about it.
0: Very cool stuff. Very very cool. So so if if I could just put it in sales guy terms, it sounds like you guys allow the network. At, I think you called it micro segmentation. Hey, we've we've located some uh, nasty thing inside our network, some malware piece, and we can disconnect and almost draw a cyber fence around it and keep it from proliferating, and then address the problem inside that you know micro segmentation.
1: Yes, but you can also do that proactively. For example, if you have uh, an organization with many divisions, you could say, okay, so the people in marketing can only talk to themselves and their servers and their resources, and the people from, um, I don't know, sales can't reach that part of the network. So if, if someone from sales gets ransomware then the ransomware can't propagate from the salesperson's machine to the marketing person's machine. This is just a very basic analogy, but
0: yes. Well, right. You talked about the shipping company. If you were able to catch it in one department, you might still be able to deliver containers while you're still sorting out some other part of the business. I got it. Exactly. Very, I highly really recommend
1: cool. the, the book Sandworm by Andy Greenberg because it, it, it really tells the story in an amazing way and it helps to understand these risks.
0: Excellent. Sandworm by Andy Greenberg. We always love book recommendations. Amit, we appreciate you and uh, your team being on the front lines of that. And thank you for joining us on uh, Not Your Father's Data Center. It's been great having you. We really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Amit, thank you. Thank you.